Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Holy crap, it's here. This has taken me seven months of my life to complete, and I am super pleased how it turned out. What is Miguel talking about? It's my new book, Expat Secrets. You're going to be able to find it on Amazon right now. Let me just give you the full name of the book because I think it says a lot, okay? Expat Secrets, How to Make Giant Piles of Money, Live Overseas, and Pay Zero Taxes. Boom. I really like that. Basically, the book breaks down everything you need to know for leading an international life. This is timely information and modern, and it's a fun read. You can buy your copy right now by going to Amazon and searching Expat Secrets. This will really help support the show to grow. And if you want to be an awesome human being, what I want you to do is leave the book an honest review on Amazon. It actually makes a huge difference to new authors like me. Seriously, I mean this. Please get a copy of the book and please leave the book a review. It's just good karma. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today's guest is a serial entrepreneur, published author, and life hacker born and raised in Silicon Valley. Since 2014, he has been one of the top performing instructors on online learning platform Udemy and has snowballed this success into the launch of his rapidly growing information product company, Superhuman Enterprises which produces such products as the award-winning Becoming Superhuman podcast, the best-selling Becoming a Super Learner print, digital, and audiobooks, and numerous other online courses through his online training portals. His media products have been enjoyed by over 150,000 people in 203 countries and territories, and he now lives as an expat in Tel Aviv, Israel. Please welcome to the show, Jonathan Levy. Jonathan, how are you doing? Fantastic, Mikhail. Great to be here. My pleasure to have you. Why don't you take a couple of minutes and talk us kind of through your backstory. How did you get to Israel? How did you start working in this? How did you become a superhuman? Oh, I ask myself these questions all the time, Mikkel. So my backstory is uh, I was kind of a happy kid, you know. Uh, it struggled a little bit in school. I only later realized that uh, I'm an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, and, and struggled my way through school. Had to kind of work a lot harder to keep up with other kids in school. And along about 15 years of age, a friend introduced me to prescription stimulants, which allowed me to sit on my butt and keep up and lock myself in my bedroom and, and do all the catch-up work 
And I just thought that that was going to be the way that it was that helped me get through high school, through college, helped me build my first business, which I built at 16 and sold at 23, 24. And along about the time I was accepted to INSEAD, which is maybe for your listeners, they know, but one of the top business schools in the world that no one's heard of in Singapore and France, I realized that that old technique of just working harder and more hours than everyone else wasn't going to cut it anymore because such a huge component of a program like INSEAD is networking and socializing and building relationships. So I knew I had to find something else. Not to say that medication wasn't a huge component of sitting on my butt for 12 hours a day in case studies, but I knew I had to find something else. And I was very lucky at that time. I mean, I had always been into productivity and biohacking and trying to figure out ways to improve my mind, body, and soul. Uh, but I was introduced to someone who he and his wife had developed a series of techniques for speed reading, memory improvement, and accelerated learning. And I immediately signed up, you know, for a six week intensive coaching program. And the rest, as they say, is history. It kind of changed my life, definitely opened my mind to what is possible when you're able to learn more effectively and really convinced me of this idea that learning is the gateway skill to anything and everything you want to achieve. You know, unless you want to, you want to be able to dunk, I can't help you learn that probably, but everything else, um, you know, I recently saw Tony Robbins, uh, advertisement, ad advertisement documentary called I'm not your guru. And he stood up on stage and he said, you know, Tony Robbins didn't exist. I had to create this MFR. And I felt exactly the same way. You know, once I was able to read seven, 800 words a minute and retain everything that I was learning, I looked at the things that I was unhappy with in my life and I just learned my way out of them. I learned public speaking. I learned how to build better relationships. Most recently, my big win, I learned how to be a better boyfriend and husband, which got me into a relationship after nine years of searching for it. Um, I learned how to build online courses and how to build a globally distributed business so I never had to go into an office again like I did in my last company. Uh, I learned how to publish books, how to podcast, and I really think that every challenge that faces our listeners or anyone, 99.999% of the time, it's a learning challenge. And just knowing not only where to go to get the information, but having the confidence and the skills to be able to learn whatever it is. And, you know, Mikhail, I've, so I've interviewed about 200 people on my podcast. And one of the big, big, big takeaways from that experience was that you don't just need to acquire the skills. I'm sure you've had a similar experience, but you don't just need to acquire the skills to get to where someone is. If I admire, you know, one of my friends and mentors, Joe Polish, I don't just need to acquire his skills to become the next him. I actually need to become that person. I need to become the type of person who would naturally and logically have the things that he has or succeed in the things that he succeeds in. That on top of my whole experience in life and, and my realization that learning is this master key really reinforced this idea of, you know, this is the, the cutting competitive edge that people need to get wherever it is they want to go. If you want to be an amazing athlete, it's not enough just to know how to pass the ball and know all the plays. You need to become the type of person who wakes up at 6 a.m. for practice, who dials in their diet who is always watching on the weekends, you know, different ways to improve their, their game. It's, it's really about becoming the kind of person you want to become.
So let's just clear something up right off the bat, because I think that this is a, a concept that a, people, a lot of people don't understand. And, and I already know the answer, and I'm sure you, I'm, I'm going to take a, a guess and say that you are on the same page with me. But really, do you think that people are born with skills? Do you think it's genetics? Do you think it's in your blood? It's in your, your heritage? Or you have these ingrained skills already? Or is this something that you develop? I like to say that learning is a birthright, right? We are the single most adaptable neuroplastic species on the planet. And what's more than that, many people don't realize this, but as soon as I say it, you go, oh yeah, I never thought about it that way. The human brain is the single most complex object in the known universe. Whether you're born with an IQ of 80 or an IQ of 180, that is true. It has over 100 billion neurons. We don't even understand how it operates it uses something like two hertz of power and yet has the computing power of like 5,000, 2.5 gigahertz computers. It's insane. There's so many things we don't understand about how the brain works. It's memory capacity. It's insane. Anyway, uh, so that's your birthright, right? You are a learner. The reason we are homo sapiens is because we are able to learn so effectively. Now, some people figure this out on their own. They figure out things like visual memory. I've encountered people who, when I explain to them the basics of speed reading, they go, yeah, but everyone reads like that. I go, no, very few people read like that. And they go, oh, I always thought everyone else read like me. It's like um, I recently interviewed a lucid dreaming expert. And he said, you know, whenever he speaks to an audience of a thousand people, one person will raise their hand and go, wait, you mean not everyone can manipulate their dreams? <laughs> so there are a few people like that Typically, from my experience, it comes from people who early on in their career are taken towards a certain path. For example, the natural speed readers that I've met are very often lawyers or academic researchers who had to figure out pretty early on, you know, at age 14, 15, they were starting to do AP classes in English and reading a lot. Uh, but the vast majority of us do not. And, and beyond that, Mikhail, I know, I'm fortunate to know through my work Quite a few of the world's top memory experts, world champions, uh, national champions, every single one of them will tell you they have absolutely no genetic advantage. Most of them got into memory sport because they had, quote unquote, a lousy memory. So mm -hmm. it is almost entirely technique. And I mean, I, I like to joke with people. If you can tie your shoes, you probably don't have a disadvantage when it comes to memory. Um and and the whole people love i mean people love have you ever noticed how people love to brag about how little sleep they get it's true but people also love to brag about how lousy their memory is <laughs> and when you do that you know it's like so i get this a lot because people ask what do you do and i say oh i write books and online courses about memory oh my god i need that i have the worst memory like 90% of people that's their immediate response the other 10% is what do you mean memory how how can you be a memory expert um and the first thing you do when you when you commit to having a lousy memory is you make it a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? That self-talk, your brain wants to confirm that bias. It doesn't want it. We hate being wrong. So step one is stop saying you have a lousy memory or you're terrible at faces, or, you know, because uh, it becomes true. Well, I find that with many things in life. 
you know, totally. there's, there's so many times that people will say something to themselves. It's this self-talk over and over and over again. And you'll hear it in just in a, in a two-minute conversation with them. I wonder how many times they say it to themselves, you know, when they're alone. I can't do this. I'm stupid. I'm, I'm always late. Um, I can't. I couldn't do this. I can't do this. These all, all these limiting belief patterns. And they just reinforce it over and over and over again throughout the day. And I just wonder what that would do to someone over a lifetime. I, th I think that some of these are the reasons that people don't go forward. They're not able to accomplish their goals because of this self-talk. Yeah, I call it, uh, I haven't coined very much. I, most of what I teach has been around for 2,200 years. But I did coin this kind of term that I call the intellectual Pygmalion effect. Or the, in the case of negative self-talk, the intellectual golem effect. So people might be familiar with the uh, Rosenthal-Jacobs study, which realized it's kind of like this eerie almost like mystical, unexplained aspect of uh, psychology that we learn in business schools, actually. If your manager believes, your manager, teacher, parent, someone in an authority position over you believes that you're a high performer, and even if they hide it and they act completely the same, you know, strip all the emotion from the communication, somehow, magically, you will be a high performer. The same is true if they believe that you're a low performer. So as a manager or a parent or a teacher or a mentor, you actually have the ability to influence someone's outcome. And that's someone external to you. Now, just in that, you know, who you access minutes or hours a day. Now, just imagine, as you said, the person in your head, you, your thoughts, at least, you know, Eckhart Tolle would have us say, you're not your thoughts, but the person in your head at all times is with you 24 hours, seven days a week. And they're the number one authority figure to you. And so if you're telling yourself these things, just imagine how powerful that is for someone to say, you know, I'm such a klutz or, oh, I'm the worst at names or I suck at math. I mean, if you pay attention, you'll hear this every single day. So what are some of the steps that people can use to break this pattern? Because I think that this is one of the fundamental things that people need to be doing straight from the beginning. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of schools of thought on this, and, and one of them is start out with the self-talk and, you know, look yourself in the mirror and say, I have a phenomenal memory or I'm an intelligent person. For that, for, for, for me, that never, it never felt substantial enough. And one of the things that I realized, Mikkel, as we were teaching our course, we had this really, really interesting effect, which, which caused me to come up with this term, right? The intellectual Pygmalion effect is the first week of our course, because we do a lot of, you know, we're experts in learning, my team and I, so we do a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, like setting up the requirements for the adult brain to learn, which inevitably means explaining to people a lot of the why and the how and linking to their previous experience. And, you know, adults have a lot of previous experience, and if you don't honor that and give them that respect, unlike with children, who you can just say, learn this, um, then you lose them as learners. So we do a lot of that stuff in the first week of the course. And we realized that people in their week one check-in were writing in, this is so amazing. I can't believe how well this course is working. My memory already is better. And I'm like, that can't be. You haven't actually learned anything. It's like, <laughs> if, it's like if signing up for the driving test or, or like I registered to go get an eye exam and my eyes are already better. Like I haven't put glasses on you, right? And what we realized is that people were walking around. When we dug in, we read the responses. People were walking around going, I'm in a fancy memory course that's been proven by 150,000 people, and my memory is getting better. And guess what? Their memory got better. So is that like a placebo effect, or how does that work then? I think, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't put 
exactly the label of placebo effect because we hadn't administered the placebo yet. So I called it the intellectual Pygmalion effect, which is like, just drop this, like, I have a lousy memory. And the way that you do that, you know, instead of the affirmations is just know that 90 plus percent of memory is completely unrelated to some genetic issue or, I mean, there are a very small percentage of people have something called face blindness. Again, if you recognize your mother when she walks in the room, you probably don't have it. Um, people love to be hypochondriacs on the internet. But just knowing that and just knowing like you don't actually have a lousy memory, you don't know how to use your memory is the first step. And then the second step, you know, which we saw with people having 150 plus thousand people go through the courses is learn the techniques. Because when I show you how I memorize 50 digits backwards, forwards, and inside out, you'll understand, like, for me, it's as easy, if not easier, than reading the numbers off of a paper. I'm more likely to get confused and skip a line reading the, the notes off a piece of paper than I am reading them out of my memory palace. And so once you learn that, it's like, the first time I do it for someone, they're like, oh my god, you must be super... And then I explain to them how I do it, and they're like, oh, you're basically cheating. You just have a list <laughs> in your brain you're reading from. And it's literally, it's the same thing. It's It's... It's literally easier for me than reading it off a piece of paper. Very interesting. Because I think that, you know, the, on the show, mostly we talk about entrepreneurship and, you know, specifically entrepreneurs who are building their business. But I think that everything that we're talking about today is kind of like the precursor to building your business. If you have all these limiting belief patterns where you are always setting yourself up that you can't do things, um, you're going to find it extre extremely difficult. And to be an entrepreneur, you really do need to understand a lot of different concepts. So learning and learning how to learn is so fundamental for success. Like, I really just can't stress this enough for people. And I guess that's why I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you. Man. You know, I, I feel the same way. And I always say, like, I sold my last business for not a lot of money, like under a million dollars. And I always say that if I had the learning skills that I have now, I mean, I'm able to learn and implement things so much faster. I, I hired an amazing management coach because we were stuck and, and we weren't communicating. And I'm able to just devour 10 years of her research and work faster than anyone, you know, would have expected. I don't want to say faster than anyone else in the course. I don't want to put anyone else in the, in the program down, but I'm able to just completely dive into a subject and consume it. And, you know, to wit, People ask me like, well, how can I use this to get ahead in my career? I say, you know, in October, beginning of October, 2013, the only thing I knew about online courses is that I'd taken one, one online course on, I think it was December 26, 2013, I published my first online course. And within two weeks, it was one of the best selling online courses on Udemy. And that's not luck at all. I sat down and I read papers, research, blog posts best practices. You know, I, I read about ranking algorithms on marketplace websites. I just devoured everything I could that was open to everybody. There were 20,000 other instructors when I started on Udemy. Today, there's over 50,000. All that information was open and available to everyone. It's like Tim Ferriss says, you know, he has published all the information you would need to copy him and even surpass him in the world of podcasting, but no one's able to learn it, synthesize it, and execute it so no one has surpassed it and uh all that information is out there whether you want to start a software business whether you want to i have a friend who's starting a hedge fund right now think about how much 
reading and learning of regulation it takes to start a hedge fund. If you want to start a medical device company, you better be ready to to uh, develop a an eyeglass habit because you're just going to be reading and reading and reading and learning and trying to keep up with the pace of new research. So um, I think as entrepreneurs, especially in this day and age, like entrepreneurship used to be hard. You know, <laughs> when I started my business in 2004, it was like there was a lot of things to figure out. There was no like one click, you have a credit card processing account. Another click, automatically your company's incorporated for you. Like entrepreneurship today is easy, but that's because there's so much new stuff coming out, so many new technologies, so many open source packages that you can hit one button and all of a sudden your company has a logo and style kit and you hit another button, you buy something on AppSumo, you have all the templates you ever need to sell to B2B companies. It's like, it's super easy, but the, the flip side of that super easy is you always need to be up on the latest trends, what's happening in the industry what your competitors are doing, you know, so in that sense, it's harder. So what are some of the skills that you recommend people to develop? What do you recommend people to learn if they are trying to build a business for themselves? Because like you said, there's so many things that are now automated. There's so many things that are done for you, but there are certain things that you really need to focus on learning for yourself. This is such a great question. I'm really glad you asked, Mikkel, because people ask me that. And, you know, sometimes the response is like, oh, well, my phone remembers everything for me. My calendar remembers everything for me. And I think a lot of people are surprised when I tell them, I only recently and only for impressing audiences, did I really hone the skill of like memorizing random strings of numbers or any of that kind of thing, right? The things that I use memory techniques for are actually soft skills, right? So, uh, Memorizing interesting pieces of books or lessons or ideas, memorizing to-do lists. But as entrepreneurs and ostensibly as people, I think the most valuable use of the memory technique is actually for human connection, right? If I remember all my employees' names, all their kids' names, all their spouses' names, I know, I know when Jesse is starting the seventh grade and I, you know, I have such a deeper human connection with the people that I work with. In my company and out of my company, a customer can email me two years apart and I'll go, wait a minute, you're Jason. Whatever happened with, you know, your mom, she had the elbow problem and, <laughs> and it just creates such a level of intimacy and authenticity with people. And it, I, I'm fortunate after all these years of memory techniques that I do it almost automatically. Now, inevitably someone will reach out to me from this podcast and say, Hey, do you remember me? And I'll go, unfortunately, I don't because I'm not perfect, but um, learning to remember people's names, remember what you talked about with them and cherishing and honoring your relationship with them is one of the most valuable skills for a leader of any kind. And, and I would argue that we're all leaders in some right. I think you're right. I think communication is so fundamental. When I look at technology and things like blockchain and artificial intelligence, robotics, all these new things that are coming out and they're displacing so many jobs, one of the main things that will never go away is that human interaction, that communication, that bonding with one another. So I'm glad to hear that you feel the same way and that you really focus on making that connection with other people still in today's age. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, because as I said, I, I thought long and hard about this and I realized like a lot of my job is going to be gone in 50 years, right? Because as soon as, as soon as Neuralink is up and running and we can all just augment our brains, very few people, if any, are going to need me to help upgrade their memory. 
But until that happens, until we can interface with machines directly, uh, you know, I, I think a lot about where to best apply these skills. And it used to be, and I think this is the difference maybe between a younger me and a more mature me, and maybe also just the wisdom of experience. It used to be like devour all the business books, read all the books that your top CEO role model read and, you know, read the Stephen Covey and da, 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 and just devour all these books and then implement all of it. And I think there's value to that. But more and more I'm realizing, um, that's not at all the, the prize at the end of the runway. Well, I would love to get your opinion, and I'd love to dig deeper a little bit on this. And it's funny, actually, that we're talking about this right now, because I run a, a daily correspondence, a daily email, EMS Pulse. And it's really like the behind the scenes of what's going on in my life as I'm building my business and while I'm traveling the world. And literally yesterday, I sent out an email to everybody saying that how much I protect my environment, how much I protect the information that goes into my head and protect my thought process and everything like this. So I'd love to dig in a little bit with you on how that works, because I, I do think that reading the books and all of these things and Stephen Govey, like you said, I think that these are all important, but I think it goes further than that. I think it goes deeper than that. And I would love to get your opinion, Jonathan. Yeah. Wow. I'm really glad we're talking about this. People often think that because I, I read as quickly as I do and I remember as much as I do, that I must like read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal every single day. I must read every business book that comes out. I must, you know, da, 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 da. And I don't. I actually, I love the idea that Tim Ferriss kind of introduced in the four hour work week of being on an information diet. I scan the news once a week to know what's generally going on in the world. I don't keep up with the news. Um, First, because I think it's a lot of it is just toxic to my well-being and my ability to, to look at the world. And, you know, like when the New York Times has a whole section called It's Not All Bad, Here's the Week in Good News. Have you noticed this? Blows my mind that we've gotten as a society to this point where the New York Times has to have a section called It's Not All Bad. And then they carefully curate the, like five happy stories in the world. Ugh, like insane. So that's one, but also so much of it is not relevant. You know, it's like situation comes up, situation is resolved. Uh, in the grand historical context, 10 years from now, do I really need to know exactly what happened? Maybe, you know, 20 to 30 stories a year. And if they're that important, they'll be in the news again at the end of the week. So that's my thinking on that. With that said, I, I read a hell of a lot, uh, for pleasure. And also I think it's, the responsibility, like I said, of any reader, readers or leaders, uh, as one of my contemporaries loves to say, and, and it's absolutely true. Well, I agree with you because I read, I don't know, maybe I think 117 or 118 books last year, and I'll easily hit 100 books this year. And Wow. I don't... That's a lot more than I do. <laughs> really? Well... Very impressive. Now, saying that, I will preface it by saying about half of them are audiobooks, but I, I still consider that reading. And I think the big thing is not so much just what I learn from those specific books. I think it's just the positive message that is going into my brain on a daily basis. And I find that over time, my entire self-confidence, my self-worth, how I look at myself in the mirror, how I am able to stand up in front of a stage and give a presentation, my confidence, everything like that, I think is really affected by the fact that I'm constantly putting in, you know, thousands of hours a year of 
entrepreneurship, of business, of self-confidence, of developing these types of skills. Yes. And uh, it's what I like to call Q2 time. So one of my big, I recently joined Genius Network, which is Joe Polish's 25K group. And it was really interesting. Like I get there and we spent in my first session this like hour talking about free days, right? You go there to like learn business strategy and, and find people to joint venture with. And, and you end up getting like a lecture from Joe and five other CEOs of $10 million plus businesses about how important it is to take free days. And it's because first off, you know, our brains chew on problems and our, our subconscious chews on problems when we're exposed to novel stimuli and we're not working. But also it's like, if you're a leader or an entrepreneur, it is your obligation to be out there in the world doing stuff. I mean, we talked about Stephen Covey, stuff in the second quadrant of the Eisenhower matrix, meaning stuff that is important, but not urgent. You know, it's, it's very important for you to learn about the trends in your industry, but it's not urgent. If you don't do it for two years, it'll be fine until suddenly you realize that your competitors are eating your lunch. Um, and so, you know, I call that Q2 time to make it easier. And I used to feel guilty as a business owner about like telling, you know, we do a daily check-in, a standing check-in, uh, asynchronously. And I used to feel guilty while my employees are working away, answer, answering customer service emails and whatnot. I used to feel guilty going, yeah, I'm going to take the day off and I'm going to read. But now I realize, and, and they've helped me realize like, we need you to do that because that's, you know, your unique, your unique area of focus and genius and, and what you should be doing. It's like, if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my job. Well, that reminds me of a really famous quote by Charlie Munger. And he says, basically, that he will spend the first hour to two hours a day working on himself, reading, uh, in consuming content, consuming information before he would ever sell his time to anyone else. And he's a multi-billionaire. We're talking about Warren Buffett's partner here. So I think if it's good enough mm -hmm. for him, it's probably good enough for me, you know. And this really goes to what you're yeah. saying about taking an entire day to learn and to devote to yourself and for your education and your skills. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I try to do it every single week. I try to take Tuesdays off and have them be learning days. And by the way, it doesn't have to just be books. Like I will take time off to do online courses. I I take time off to do a Russian lesson. I have a private tutor in Russian, a uh, private tutor for piano. And some of my best business ideas come sitting there with my Russian tutor and I go, oh my God, why have we never thought about doing this? You know, so it, it, it's not about ROI, but the ROI is also there. So why do you think that is? Is it because a part of your subconscious brain is free to explore new things while you're engaged in, in one thing like language learning or piano learning? Or how do you think that works? I think that is a component, but it's not the only component. I mean, if we really think about creativity, and I've spent a fair amount of time, not as much as I've thought about memory, but creativity is really just taking things from different places and combining them together, right? Think about one of the most creative people ever to live, Steve Jobs. Like his genius with the first Apple computer, uh, the Mac, was taking calligraphy and fonts and applying them to technology in a way that had never been done. He did the same thing with applying computing engineering principles to designing staircases. He actually holds a bunch of patents for the way the staircases are designed in Apple stores. To use another overused cliched example, Elon Musk, like what would happen if I took this new welding technology that we designed for spaceships and I decided to make cars out of it? Or what would happen if I took the software interface stuff that I know from PayPal that I, you know, developed the patents for and I put it in a car? 
that's all creativity really is. And so going, you know, and learning something like piano or a foreign language and then going, you know, I really like the way my language tutor does this. What would happen if I did this for my students? Like, it sounds like copying, but that's all creativity really is. So um, it's that cross-pollination of different ideas from different industries to create something new. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Cross-pollination is exactly the, the term that would illustrate it. Well, I love this type of things because in my reading, I do like to jump around a lot. I'll, I'll have, you know, five, six, seven books on the go at any one time. And, you know, maybe some people will teach that when you start one thing, you should finish it and, you know, focus on that one thing. For me, I like to jump around. You know, I get bored. I, I have moods and different things scratch different itches at different times. And so I'm the totally. same way. I, I learn Chinese. My wife is from China, so I study Chinese. I learn from biographies and autobiographies, from history, from people from, you know, long dead, 100, 400, 1,000 years old. I learned the brand new business book that came out on Monday, you know, I'll be the first one to get it and read that. So I just kind of go all over the place. And at first I thought, you know, oh, I'm, I'm really unfocused. Like I'm, I'm really unfocused individual. But I think what you're saying with this cross-pollination of ideas, there's actually a big advantage for doing things like this. Just going to take a quick break. Okay, new book is here. It's called Expat Secrets, How to Make Giant Piles of Money, Live Overseas, and Pay Zero Taxes. This book took me seven months to write and publish, and it's a culmination of some of the best stuff I've learned over my 20 years living as an expat. I cut out all the crap and tried to give you the real meat with this book. If you ever wanted to live overseas, or if you are already living overseas and you want to take things to the next level, to legally reduce your tax bill, to live a more international life, and get the best of everything planet Earth has to offer, then you must go to Amazon right now and purchase your copy of Expat Secrets. Pause the episode and go take a look. It's cool. I'll wait. Seriously, you guys are going to love this. Enjoy the book. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, funny you say that. I did a, uh, a YouTube video about a, exactly this topic because for years I beat myself up about it. Like, why can't I just sit and focus? Like, I was supposed to learn Russian in six months. That was going to be the whole challenge. And you know what? It's taken me like three years, and I still speak like a like a three year old because I jump around too much. And in the middle, like three months after I started learning, or maybe a year after I started learning Russian, I got obsessed with acro yoga, and I started doing like twelve hours a week of acro yoga. <laughs> And then I got obsessed with piano because, you know, as one does at the age of 30, <laughs> kind of late in the game. But I, then I realized, like, you know, so many people have so much difficulty mustering the motivation to learn. Like, in that moment, if I have a desire to sit down on the piano and spend four hours practicing scales or memorizing chords or whatever it is, like, why would I muffle that creativity and motivation and drive by forcing, you know, shoehorning it into something else. Like, why wouldn't I, uh, kind of skate into the, into the wind or with the wind? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that, that's my thinking. And as you said, like the cross pollination factor is, is not to be neglected at all. Like, even though acro yoga might've seemed like a total detour, I was able to apply things there that made me a better teacher in my business. And like, I got really into Olympic weightlifting four years ago. 
And I was able to learn things in acro yoga so much faster because I had all this background knowledge from kinesiology and mechanics and physics to where I could be like, oh, if I bend my knee this way, that's going to create torsion, which is going to make my joints less stable. So I probably, you know, no one told me, but I probably should make my knee go this way. And holy crap, it works, you know? So it's interesting. It's very interesting. I love these types of conversations because so often we're taught, you know, to sit eight hours at a desk, do one task, and that's it. And it's, and you know, they, they become mono-focused on, people become mono-focused on one thing and don't really explore a lot of different things. And even if they do, a lot of times at the end of, say, a year or two years of doing something, they feel like maybe it's a waste of time. You know, maybe I'm not going to become a marathon runner. Maybe I'm not going to become an Olympic weightlifter or be the world's best piano player. But actually, that's not really what it's about anyways. It's about enjoying your time, learning something new, and you really don't know how that skill is going to become applicable in something else in the in your future of your life. Absolutely. Have you ever uh, heard that Robert Heinlein quote about specialization? Tell me. Oh, you're going to love this. So um, when I first did my podcast, I kind of wanted to do a, what's this podcast about and and what's what do I mean by superhuman? Do I mean like able to deadlift a thousand pounds? For me, that's not that's like old superhuman. For me, new superhuman is is really like a rebirth of the Renaissance man or woman. And I gave this quote, which I love, uh, by Robert Heinlein. It goes, "A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate." Act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, and die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. Wow. Love it. I love it. That's so crazy. (laughs) That's awesome. So talk to me a little bit more about superhuman then. So define for me what it means, because I think that quote does a fantastic job, but I want you to go a little bit deeper for me in your own regards, in your own life, in your own experience of being an entrepreneur, of being an expat. Yeah. So, you know, I think like more and more as a society, we're waking up to this idea that like hyper specialists career-wise or life-wise are not the people that we admire. And and one could even argue, I mean, go back to like the people that have stood the test of time for being honored and beloved, like Da Vinci, Benjamin Franklin, um, Richard Feynman. These are people who are multidisciplinary and in their own right, like very much superhuman. Like, I don't know how how much people know about Ben Franklin or the things that he did, but it was like, oh, right, I wrote this entire legal code and also I founded the entire public library system as we know it today. And then I was also the ambassador to France. And while I was in France, I convinced the French government to do this. But then there wasn't a fire department, so I had to set up a fire department. And then I discovered, you know, the way that lightning works as electricity. And I also set up the whole concept of a business mastermind, invented guerrilla marketing as we know it. Like, insane, insane. And the same is true of da Vinci and all his many, many inventions, Nikola Tesla. And so I think... um you know, those are the people that we hold up as superhumans. And how much do we really talk as a culture and as a society about the strongest man in the world? If you weren't on the Game of Thrones, we wouldn't 
even know who he is because no one cares. No one cares who has the biggest deadlift in the world or who, you know, who has the highest IQ in the world. Most people can't tell me. Um, and it's also because he's a, a bouncer at a bar. <laughs> you know, it's like that level of superhuman in one specialized thing just is, it doesn't suit itself to the realities of life. And so the people that we hold up who are very much superhuman are people like Elon Musk, who it's like, you've got your hands in 15 different things and you also manage to come up with 16 different patents. And I don't know, I think, I, I think a lot about that. It's like, what is the kind of person that I want to be in? It, it's that superhuman. You know, I, I want to have an amazing relationship. I want to have an amazing career. I want to impact people's lives. I want to be healthy and fit uh, and happy. And I want to have tons and tons of knowledge that I can pull out at any point to interest and engage people and inspire people. And I honestly could care less about having a thousand pound deadlift or, I mean, you know, uh, 2010 vision, <laughs> laser vision. Well, as a side note, I've read autobiographies for pretty much everyone that you just mentioned, and they are all absolutely phenomenal. Like on the Elon Musk, Add to that that he has five children and he dates a supermodel right. and, you know, he's going to Mars. Like, the amount of things that these people are able to do is is just, it's mind-blowing. It's it's like, it's so inspirational for me. And at first, I was really intimidated. I was really intimidated. Um, I guess I thought that, you know, they are special. They're born this way. Maybe it's in their blood, their genetics, like we were talking about before. And now I really realize that that's not the case at all. Actually, we're all born equal with, you know, maybe a few exceptions, like some of the disabilities that you mentioned earlier in the show. But really, at the end of the day, we are creating our life. We are shaping our life, how we see fit, what we want. And it has to do with programming. It has to do with the operating system that we run our belief patterns, how we see ourselves, our self-image, all these types of things. Right. Yeah. And I mean, Elon Musk may be uh, an exception because he is in exceptionally intelligent in many different ways. But I mean, you've read his autobiography, you know, like Elon Musk wouldn't be Elon Musk if he had been a popular kid. Elon Musk is Elon Musk because from the age of about six, he was bullied so severely that he would just hide with a book every single day, all day. He didn't have friends. He didn't play sports. And I think, you know, at that level, there's always a cost, right? He's on, I think now his fourth marriage, albeit to this, the only two different people, but he's divorced and remarried the same woman multiple times. He admits to not seeing his kids very much. So there's a cost, right? There's cost to everything, though. There will always be cause and effect. There will always be sacrifice in anything that you do. That I don't argue with at all. But I guess my main point is, you know what really makes me upset is you have someone like Gary V out there who's hugely popular who goes on television radio and podcasts and all these things and talks about how he's born an entrepreneur and it's in his blood and it's in his DNA and you know other people can't do this type of stuff and you need to be born like this I think that is the biggest load of horse shit that I've ever heard in my entire life. If I were to recount for you all the shitty things that happened to me in my life, my learning disabilities, you know, dyslexia, not being able to read till I was, you know, in the fifth grade or sixth grade, and now what I've been able to accomplish throughout my life, you know, like, I, I just don't see that you need to be born with these things. I don't know, but this is, this yeah. is opinion, by, of course. Well, I, I also have a somewhat strong opinion of Gary Vee because I think his whole, like, 
you need to hustle until your eyes bleed. And if you don't want it bad enough to divorce your wife and have your kids hate you and lose custody, then you just don't want it bad enough. Like, dude, fuck off. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, that is not the way to success. And, and I find that the happy, I mean, it's the happiness advantage, right? Like the happier and healthier and more stable I am, uh, the better my businesses are. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story. In high school, when I was 18, my yearbook quote, was uh, the famous Archimedes quote, give me but a firm enough place to stand and a large enough lever and I'll move the earth. And I put that as my quote because, you know, I was heading off to Berkeley and I was educating myself and I was joining all these masterminds. I was really obsessed for many, many years with the lever. How do I get smarter? How do I learn more? How do I gain more resources, make more money so that I can make bigger impact and do bigger things in the world? But as I've matured, what I've realized is the interesting part there is not the lever because it, it, the first and most important thing is the firm enough place to stand. If you're standing in peat moss and you have a firm enough lever and you try and move the earth, it's going to slam you and pile drive you into the ground and bury you. So first things first, you need the firm enough place to stand, meaning you need to be healthy, you need to be happy, you need to be psychologically in a place where you can shoulder the burden of of all this responsibility, of all this leverage and, you know, I, again, it's a process, right? Like I joined Genius Network. I took on 15 new projects. My company's doing stuff that a year ago I would have never dreamed possible or even, even dreamed of period. Uh, but you know, the cracks start to show and I had like this whole anxiety thing around like, holy crap, we got to do all this. And I'm also planning a wedding and, oh man, they just changed the tax law. So how am I going to deal with that? And hired five new employees. You know, so if your place isn't firm enough to stand and I was missing workouts and not eating right and not sleeping right, and I just had like a whole stress breakdown. Um, so you need that firm enough place to stand. And that that's, in a word, my objection to Gary Vee, and I'm sure he would go, well, you're just a pussy and you don't want it bad enough. <laughs> like, and to, my, to which my answer is, you're right, I probably don't. Like I, even if I had a, a Elon Musk size problem that I wanted to solve, like, saving humanity and making us a multi-planetary species. Like I'm very passionate about what I do. I think it's very important to help people learn. It's, it's my, my call to arms. It's not as important as saving the future of humanity. Uh, but even if that were my call to arms, I'm not willing to make the sacrifices that someone like Elon Musk or Gary Vee is willing to make. I'm just not yeah. like I'm a family. I, I want to see my kids. <laughs> I agree. I've got a two year old at home. I want to be home every oh, night. I want to see her, you know, I want to help shape who she's going to be. I don't want to miss everything. You know, this is why I have a home office. I could have a office somewhere else, but I want mm -hmm. to be home every night. You know, even if daddy's yeah. working, she knows that she can look in and see me sitting at the computer. You know, that's Bingo. important to me. You know, the Bingo. same thing. I want to have a strong relationship with my, with my wife, who I love. I'm not willing to sacrifice that, that, that stuff. Yes, entrepreneurship Bingo. is massively important to me, and I feel very passionate about it. But at the same time, I have lots of interests in my life, family being one of them, travel being another. Yeah, bingo. You know, I, I had this realization. One of the reasons I sold my last company was I kind of hated my life while I was running it. And um, and I came up with this realization that I started, I gave a talk on failure and, and I realized that like leading a life that isn't the one you want to live, even if you're making all the money in the world and impacting all the lives in the world, it's still a form of failure. And I came up with this conclusion that... 
your company, as an entrepreneur, your company exists to serve your needs and the needs of your people first, right? So you are customer number one and your mm. needs include money, learning, uh, self-fulfillment, challenge, growth, all those things. Your number two customer is your employees. And it's something that actual, actually Rachel Passy uh, on Benjamin Hardy's team really taught us in her 10-minute talk at Genius Network. Your number two customer is the people who support you and make your whole business possible. And then your number three customer is actually the people who give you money. I like that very much. I think that's very, very true. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not taking care of your employees, how do you expect to serve those who are your customers? Yeah. And I mean, what's more valuable? These these people give you money and these people give you their livelihoods, their life, their trust, their, their you know, productive hours for years. I mean, I have people on my team who've been with me for three years and I hope will be with me for 30. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked a little bit about Tim Ferriss earlier in this interview, but I know that he talks a lot about supplements and different things to help with cognitive recall and cognitive power and things like that. Do you believe in these type of things? Do you have any recommendations for things like this? Or is it more just the mindset and the skills that you focus on? Oh, I'm a big nootropic user. As I said, I used uh, prescription stimulants for years and years and years. Uh, went off of them a while back, but I still am a big consumer of all kinds of supplements. And so I don't want to go into all of them, but I'll give you my favorite one of the moment. And the one that I find is actually uh, a replacement for the most abused drugs in the world, which are Ritalin and Adderall. Uh, and it is Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee. And for anyone who, who says, oh, yeah, I heard about it on the Tim Ferriss show. Well, I heard about it first <laughs> because I was very lucky. I actually literally bumped into their founder uh, at an after party for um, Summit a few years ago. And I was like, this guy's nuts. He's like, yeah, we make mushroom products and we're called Four Sigmatic because we, we want to create food products that are on the fourth standard deviation from what normal people eat. And I was like, <laughs> you're a crazy mofo, but send me a box of it. And, uh, and I've been drinking it ever since and I freaking love it. Um, so what's that like the lion's mane? Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. And if people want, you're welcome to use my coupon code, which is superhuman. I think you get like 15% off. Um, so that's nice. They also sponsor our podcast. So thank you for Sigmatic for that. But Regardless of that, I, I love the product because it's it has a little bit of caffeine, 40 milligrams, and it supplements that very low caffeine number with lion's mane, which is, if you think about, um, we don't realize, and Taro, the founder, taught me this, uh, you know, you have plants in the plant kingdom that are psychedelic, that are homeopathic, that are... Um, I mean, everything, right? You, you've got a plant like chamomile that will calm you and make you sleep. And you've got a plant like marijuana, which will cause creativity, alleviate pain. You've got all kinds of things. What we don't realize is that the mushroom kingdom, in many of those situations, has an analogous counterpart. So there are obviously mushrooms we know that are highly nutritious in vitamin D. There are mushrooms that will let you have a spiritual experience, let's say. There are also mushrooms that will boost your 
VO2 max. If you're an athlete, there are mushrooms that will make you sleep. There are mushrooms. And that's what, that's their mission at Four Sigmatic. Again, I'm not a brand ambassador or anything like that. Uh, I just really love their products. And it turns out that lion mane, lion's mane is to mushrooms what something like a ginseng plus L-theanine plus caffeine, like a good black tea is to the plant kingdom. And, uh, I'll quote Tim Ferriss on this. It is like jet fuel. It will light you up like a Christmas tree. So start start small. I particularly have gotten uh, very attached to the ground coffee instead of the instant coffee. And I make it in a little um, French press, and it lasts me all day. I'm wired up on it now, so if I've been ranting this whole podcast, now you know why. <laughs> Excellent. I am definitely going to go and get that myself. I have heard of it before. I've done a little bit of reading on Lion's Mane, so that's how I made the guess that that's the one. Mm-hmm. But I have not tried it myself, but I am excited. I think I think with your recommendation, Jonathan, I'm going to definitely take the plunge and give it a try. Awesome. Yeah, do yourselves a favor if you're listening in the audience. Don't Google what it looks like, because then you won't want to eat it. <laughs> Just don't ask questions and take a sip. And uh, And definitely, if you take some of those stimulants as statistically about 20% of our audience will uh take drink this on an off day you don't want to mix this with any other kind of stimulant (laughs) so i love it so so far in this conversation we've talked a little bit about mindset we've talked about that self-speak and how you now now give me your phrase for this again when it's negative and positive yeah so uh I call it the intellectual golem effect if it is negative and intellectual pygmalion effect if it's positive. Uh, and that, but if anyone wants to read more about the pygmalion or golem effect, that comes from the Rosenthal Jacobs study, uh, which I think was in 1911 or 1917. Really, really interesting. Worth, uh, worth watching a YouTube video or two about. I really love those terms. I think those are hilarious and really interesting that you've actually coined your own terms. So that's neat. Well, it's like we said before about creativity, right? Like creativity is just taking something that someone else did, like the Rosenthal Jacobs study, which discovered these two different effects, and then saying, hey, what would happen if we applied it to memory and learning? Yeah, absolutely. And then we kind of went into this cross-pollination of ideas, which you just touched on now, how doing different things in your life can actually lead you to a place that you didn't expect. And then we jumped into a little bit about the neurotropics. What do you think the next piece of the puzzle is for developing a very powerful memory and developing that type of life that you really want to have for yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's, it really comes down to, for me, and take it with a grain of salt because this is what I do for a living, but it, learning the techniques, right? So we, we haven't yet heard, how do I actually improve my memory? What are the techniques that people use to do something like memorize 50 digits backwards and forwards or 250 names in 10 minutes or whatever it is? Uh, and so learning those techniques, learning how to, how to work a memory palace and generate your own memory palaces is, uh, the gift that keeps on giving. You know, it's something that Sherlock Holmes uses and many, 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 many other very famous people use. Um, and then improving your reading speed and developing the good habits because it's not enough just to input data quickly. You need to actually have the habits to efficiently review and maintain your memories. Uh, and that's a lot of what we do at Super Learner Academy is teaching people how to maintain those memories and and be structured and systematic about the things that they're learning. Well, I don't expect you to go too into depth because I know we only have a few minutes left in the episode, but maybe you could explain to us what the memory palace is, how something like this works. 
Yes, and I'm super happy to give people a copy of our uh, five-day memory course. We just released it. We're actually selling it. But um, if people want to head on over to jle.vi slash five, so that's johnlarryedward.victorindia slash five, they can actually claim a copy for free uh, for listeners of this podcast. So, um, But yeah, let's go in a little bit about the Memory Palace. So what the Memory Palace is, turns out that our brains are really, really good at a couple different kinds of memory. And this is an evolutionary side effect, if you will. We're really good at remembering pictures, right? We remember faces. We remember colors of things. We'll, we'll remember visual information very, very well. And we're really good at remembering locations, which is why everyone in the audience can tell me exactly where the shampoo bottles are in their shower right now. And most of them can probably tell me how many there are. You can tell me where the bathroom was in the last hotel room you stayed in and on and on and on and on. Our brains do this automatically. And so the memory palace technique just says, let's use that existing infrastructure that is like this super hack into our memory and let's just put visual novel memories around it. So, you know, we most of what we teach in our course is just adapting. If I want to convert a phone number into a picture that can go into a memory palace, that takes some training and learning. But with that training and learning, you can learn how to convert numbers, names, faces, foreign language words, Bible verses, anything that you need to remember gets converted into a picture and then put in what's called a loci uh, or location within your memory palaces, plural, because once you use one, you will want to create more of them. So what would a memory palace look like for you in your own life, Jonathan? Oh, I've got them for all kinds of stuff. I, I generate them whenever I need. So I've got a memory. The room that I'm standing in right now is actually a memory palace for the Circle of Fifths. I believe you said you, you also dabble a little bit with music. Uh, is that correct, Mikkel? Not music so much. I think I tried for a little while and uh, kind of abandoned it. I'm more of the language guy. I like to do languages on the side. Fair enough. Right. You did say you're learning Chinese. So uh, the circle of fifths is this like challenging thing in music theory that helps me know like what's a fifth away from this. And if I'm in the, if you memorize it well enough, you know that if I'm in the key of C, there are no sharps and no flats. And if I'm in the key of D, I will have, let me just go into my memory palace. I will have two sharps or flats, and so on and so forth, and knowing what those sharps and flats are. Uh, and it's like this super powerful thing, but when you look at it, you're like, holy crap, <laughs> how do I memorize this, right? There's 12 positions on it. Each one has different sharps, different flats. And so I struggled with this and struggled with it and struggled with it, uh, and then I just made a memory palace. And recently, I had a masterclass student reach out to me, yesterday actually. Um, he posted in our wins thread on our Super Learner Facebook group, and he goes, I've been struggling forever to learn the circle of fifths. I actually created uh, for my students a 3D walkthrough tour of my own memory palace. And then they can just fill it in with their own symbols. And he's like, I memorized it in 15 minutes and immediately applied it. So I've done that for things like the Russian grammatical case system, which if anyone speaks any Slavic languages or German, you know, it's very hard to have uh, conjugation, gender, tense, and declension. We don't have enough time on this whole podcast for me to explain how declension works, but uh, uh, I'll use it for that. I used it for the, the UN phonetic alphabet because I spend a lot of time on the phone. I use it for uh, memorizing numbers, forwards, backwards, all kinds of stuff like that. And I, I create them. Last night I was getting a massage. And of course, you know, like we talked about, when you're on your free day and you're thinking about different stuff, 
your best ideas come to you. I'm like, shit, how am I not going to remember? How am I going to remember all these things so that when I get to a computer, I put them into Asana and send messages to my team. So I just like remembered the room. I'd seen the room that I was in uh, briefly as I was undressing for my massage. And I just made a memory palace and boom, 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 stored the four symbols. And as I was going along, thinking of these ideas face down on the massage table, I just started populating it with all these ideas. And then I, I was in no rush because like I said, it's, it's cheating the way that I memorize things. When I comfortably got to my computer 18 hours later today, I uh, just went ahead and read out of my memory palace and put them into Asana. I love it. So if people want to learn more about what you do, Jonathan, if people want to learn more about memory palaces, how they can develop their own memory, how they can become superhuman, where can we send them? Yeah, well, I would love for everyone to claim a free copy of our five-day memory course. We worked really hard to trim it down. We teach a 10-week course, and I completely threw everything out. Not that it's bad, but started from scratch to say, what's the bare, 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 bare minimum that I can teach busy people? And how can I get this information and, and teach it to them in really, really bite-sized things? And we're really proud of the course. We've had a few thousand people go through it already uh, in the last week since we released it. And that, as I said, is at jle.di slash five. And if people want to check out the full program, they can go to memory.school. Perfect. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show, Jonathan. Really interesting conversation. And I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. You take care. Thanks, Mikhail. Okay, I want to read you the reviews from the back of the book that some massively famous people in the international living space have wrote for me. See if you recognize some of these names, okay? So Gregor Gregerson says, In Expat Secrets, Mikkel elegantly describes the many benefits that accrue to those that choose their country of residence and provides practical and timely tips and examples for doing so. This book is a game changer. Leif Simon says, Having lived and worked overseas for more than a quarter century myself, I've seen expats make every mistake under the sun. Save yourself time and energy and learn from someone who has actually done it. Expat Secrets is the book to get you started in your international journey. Edmund John says, Having incorporated hundreds of companies from my clients over the last seven years, this book is very helpful for those that are starting out. And Michael Cobb says, a huge thanks to Mikkel for clearly written, concise description of the international experience as lived by a true globetrotting pioneer. Especially refreshing is the chapter on the benefits of raising kids overseas. As the father of two third culture kids, I can personally assure you that no education expands the mind more than growing up overseas. And my good friend David McKeegan wrote the foreword to this book. But I will let you read that yourself when you go to Amazon today and you purchase your copy of Expat Secrets. Thanks, guys. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand. 
coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.